This is Business Breakdowns. Business Breakdowns is a series of conversations with investors and operators diving deep into a single business. For each business, we explore its history, its business model, its competitive advantages, and what makes it tick. We believe every business has lessons and secrets that investors and operators can learn from, and we are here to bring them to you. To find more episodes of Breakdowns, check out joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts and podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Today, we will break down Dexcom. Founded in 1999, Dexcom makes best-in-class continuous glucose monitors to help diabetics manage their blood sugar levels. With close ties to growing obesity rates, the diabetes market is big, expensive, and expanding. In the U.S. alone, one-third of Americans are diabetic or pre-diabetic, and the cost of treating diabetes is expected to double over the next decade. To break down Dexcom, I'm joined by Anil Tanjarla, an Associate Portfolio Manager at Sofinova Bioequities, and an investor in Dexcom. During our conversation, we discuss how Dexcom's continuous glucose monitors have materially changed treatment. We cover the structure of the market and Dexcom's competitors, and we discuss where the business may have future runway inside and outside of diabetes care. I hope you enjoy this breakdown of Dexcom. So Anil, thank you so much for joining us to break down Dexcom. I thought a good place to start would be to discuss how Dexcom is this $50 billion market cap business that very few people outside of the medical technology landscape have heard of. So what exactly is Dexcom, the core product, help us to size the market and appreciate how big of an opportunity it is? Dexcom is a medical device company based in San Diego, California. Dexcom became a company in 1999 and went public in 2005. Since their inception, they've been a diabetes-focused company, and specifically, they've been focused on continuous glucose monitors. Continuous glucose monitors are a way of measuring the amount of glucose in your bloodstream on a real-time basis. This device that they've manufactured is a subcutaneous patch that you put on the skin. It has a follicle-like needle that goes underneath the skin and it will measure your glucose levels every five minutes and transmit that signal to a smartphone or a receiver in order to tell you the amount of glucose in your bloodstream. The market opportunity is massive. In the US, we have 340 million people. One-tenth of those are diagnosed with diabetes and another 90 million. So in total, one-third of Americans are pre-diabetic or diabetic massive market. In the US, we spend about $300 billion a year in diabetes and diabetes-related complications. Worldwide, the spending is about $700 billion in diabetes and diabetes-related complications. So it's a huge cost category. In terms of putting it on a per-patient basis, the average diabetic costs the system about $17,000 per year. And it's estimated in the next 10 years that that number is going to go up closer to $30,000 per patient. And so to help us to understand that spend, that 17000 that's scaling to 30000 what type of stuff is that being spent on in terms of a diabetic? So there's three big buckets. 
The first bucket is visits to your provider. So costs to go to your primary care physician or to go to your endocrinologist. The second big bucket is for pharmaceuticals. So most diabetics start with metformin, and then they go to other types of drugs, such as SGLT2s, GLP-1s, DPP-4s. Those are different mechanisms to control your glucose level. And ultimately, once patients fail, all those drugs, they go on to insulin. So some of these products are very expensive. Insulin has been in the news for being very expensive. GLP-1s are also very expensive medications. But over time, these pharmaceutical companies have taken price on these drugs, and it's been an increasing cost category. But the most important category is the third bucket. And this is what scares insurance companies. It's end-stage diabetes, where patients are progressing to hospitalizations and deaths. So diabetes at its core ends up being a disease of the blood and ends up becoming a disease of blood vessels. So complications you see are cardiovascular complications, so heart attack, stroke, you also see damage of blood vessels near your nerve endings. So you see neuropathy, loss of feeling in your fingertips and toes. And the other big category for hospitalizations is diabetic foot ulcers, amputations, and then ultimately it results in deaths. But insurance companies are very cognizant about ER visits because that's a huge cost category and any major surgical procedure that needs to happen in the hospital. So it's pretty obvious that this is a massive end market in terms of the size, the scale, and the number of people who are impacted by diabetes or pre-diabetic symptoms. Why is it that continuous glucose monitors or CGMs are important in the scheme of the industry? The glucose monitoring technology is actually very nascent in the scheme of how long diabetes has afflicted the human population. So it was only until the 1980s when we started using blood glucose meters in a big way that in most of the country is still the standard of care. So you take a finger stick, you take a small drop of blood, you put it on an electrochemical strip that you put into a reader and it spits out a blood glucose level. The problem with this is most people that are diabetic, they only finger stick themselves either once or twice a day. And a lot of diabetics actually only do this in the morning just to see what their fasting glucose is. The problem is diabetes is a 24-hour disease. So your glucose levels will increase or decrease through the day based on your diet, your exercise, your sleep, your cortisol levels, and there's a host of other factors. So by only taking a point-in-time measurement, you don't know what's happening the rest of the day. So importantly, at night, a lot of diabetics can experience hypoglycemic events. So what this means is glucose drops below a normal range, and it can result in loss of consciousness or death. The other aspect is the hyperglycemia, where glucose levels are too high in the bloodstream. As I mentioned earlier, that's where you see increased vascular complications. So increased cardiovascular risk, damage of capillaries and smaller blood vessels. It's important to monitor this to prevent long-term damage or hospitalizations. What's really interesting about the CGM data is 
there's been clinical trials that look at patients' A1C, which is a measurement of glucose levels, before and after CGMs. The use of CGMs has resulted in a decrease of A1C by about 1.5%. That means the difference of being a severe diabetic that is definitely on the path to hospitalizations to being a well-controlled diabetic that is delaying time to insulin treatment or delaying time to hospitalization by years. So this product actually works. And the biggest reason it works is behavioral changes. If you have a burger and you see your glucose levels are spiking, you'll drink more water, you'll exercise, and maybe you're a little bit more careful about your next meal because your glucose levels are already elevated. But 90% of diabetics actually say they have seen a change in behavior or have modified their own behavior in response to their CGM readings. And so how does a company like Dexcom make money? I guess the knock on hardware businesses in the context of technology is generally you don't want to own the hardware provider, right? You want to own the recurring software business. They are the manufacturer of this device. What is their revenue model? Their current revenue model is a hardware model. Dexcom manufactures three components. They manufacture the sensor, which includes a small needle that goes underneath the skin. They manufacture a transmitter that takes that electrochemical signal from the sensor and transmits it to your phone or receiver. And they also manufacture a handheld receiver that receives those signals, which will tell you what your glucose levels are. Dexcom charges on average about $40 to $50 for a 10-day period, which is the average one-time wear period for the sensor. And the costs against that are about $15 for that 10-day wear period. One way to think about it is it's about $1.50 per day in costs and it's about $5 in revenue to Dexcom. It's about a 70% gross margin business. But they make their revenues by selling these three components through either the pharmacy channel or the durable medical equipment channel. On top of the hardware component, there is also a software component which comes with the device and they don't charge for it. So you have a Dexcom G6 app, either on the iPhone or Android, that will tell you your point-in-time glucose measurements. So it will tell you, for example, you have 100 megs per deciliter in glucose. It will allow you to record exercise events, insulin events, when you take insulin. And then there's a second app called the Clarity app, which will give you customizable reports that you can download so you can look at patterns of how your glucose levels change based on the day, based on the time. And these are reports that you can look at to analyze your own behavior, or you can send those reports to endocrinologists. So right now the software component is free, but what Dexcom actually said during their December analyst event is with their next generation hardware, which is the Dexcom G7, which will likely be released later this year, they believe that they've optimized the hardware component. The hardware component is for this next generation is going to be about the size of two quarters, and it will be a small patch that's indiscreet that you can wear on your tricep or anywhere through your body. They believe they've optimized the hardware component, and they're kind of reaching late innings of innovation there. They're thinking the next component needs to come on the software side. So Dexcom is already spending a lot of money on the software component. So the big thing behind the technology 
is Dexcom is using very low electrochemical signals and converting that using an algorithm to give you a glucose reading. Dexcom is so good at this, it's actually quite accurate in converting that signal to a reading. This is actually a very difficult technology to master because there's wild fluctuations in glucose based on what you're doing and based on what you're eating. So what's important technology-wise is to measure not only the change in glucose, but also maintain accuracy during those changes. So what you see in the app is you not only see a point in time measurement of your glucose, but you also see the direction of the way your glucose is traveling. In the app, they will give you alerts in the latest generation product of when you're about to enter a hypoglycemic range, which means that you should probably eat a cookie or banana to prevent 10 minutes from now when you're going to go hypoglycemic or they'll alert you when you're reaching hyperglycemic area. So whatever you're eating, maybe hold off, maybe walk around the park a couple of times to lower your glucose levels. But these predictive analytics are becoming a bigger part of the Dexcom story. And if we think about Dexcom in the context of regulatory, obviously medical technology devices, I imagine fall under a pretty strict regulatory regime. Is there a barrier to entry in the technology that they have and the approval by the regulatory authorities? The latest generation was approved under uh, 510K and it's a class two medical device. It's not a medical device that's classified as potentially life-threatening, which would require very significant clinical trials. So the barriers are actually lower regulatory-wise than you might expect for a pharmaceutical company. 510K pathway is much easier. I view the barriers to entry as actually much more focused on technology and manufacturing component. So right now, there's only three players that make continuous glucose monitors. It's Medtronic, Abbott, and Dexcom. And Medtronic was actually the first player under Minimed. They had the first CGM approved in 1999. We've actually seen the competitive landscape between these three companies evolve quite dramatically. So a lot of the technology comes down to the ability to generate enough of an electrochemical reaction under the skin accurately, and then have an algorithm that's appropriately calibrated that it can tell you the correct reading for the amount of glucose that's interacting and generating an electrochemical signal below the skin. So what we've seen is Dexcom is by far the most accurate with their current generation products. The Minimed, the Medtronic device, although it was first to market, still requires calibrations. Abbott device, while it doesn't require calibrations, doesn't have the radio transmitter where they can send it to the iPhone. So there's a few technological components where Dexcom is still ahead, but it looks like this is going to be a duopoly market. There's only two players that actually are technologically able to service this market accurately. How does customer acquisition work? The statistics you provided about the number of Americans who are impacted by diabetes and then globally, the growing number of people who are pre-diabetic. Can you help us to understand how a pre-diabetic or diabetic patient finds a Dexcom device? So in healthcare, there's not something like a customer acquisition cost. It's more so like doctor acquisition cost. So most people go to their doctor's office and ask, hey, doc, what do you recommend? 
and patients typically go with their doctor recommendations. So for healthcare companies, like doctor acquisition cost is relatively efficient. You run a clinical study, you go to a major medical meeting, you present your findings in front of thousands of doctors from across the country. And in a 30-minute presentation, you have influenced most of the prescribers in the country. So it's very cost-efficient. What we're seeing here from the CGM market is it's a little bit more consumery versus just doctor recommended. Some patients are going into their doctor's office and they're actually asking for a Dexcom or they're asking for an Abbott. So what both Abbott and Dexcom are doing now is they are doing some DTC advertising. So Dexcom just started their big DTC campaign by doing an ad during the Super Bowl with Nick Jonas, who's one of their spokesmen. And Abbott has consistently been doing DTC advertising. So those are the two main sources of uh, doctor and customer acquisition costs. But ultimately, for these medical device companies, the CAC is not as significant as it is for other industries. Looking at it from a broader perspective, how many customers does Dexcom have today? And then how does Dexcom get paid by those customers? Is there an insurance component that is supporting their revenue model? So Dexcom has about a million customers right now. Abbott has about three and a half million customers. So about four and a half million people worldwide are on a CGM. Abbott skews a little bit more internationally than Dexcom. Dexcom's about 80-20 US outside the US. The way it's paid for is it's a mix of government pay and commercial pay. So the customer picks up their prescription from the pharmacy channel. They go to CVS, pick up their Dexcom, and the product gets paid for a little under $2,000 per year for a commercial patient. And then for a Medicare patient, $2,500. And what's the cost to the patient? It depends on the insurance plan. Statistic Dexcom gives is one third of their patients have 0% copay. They say the Libre, only 10% of their patients have 0% copay. But it's very insurance plan dependent. The cost of the Dexcom has been coming down to meet the Libre price. Dexcom was originally at around $3,000 a year after discounts. The Abba Libre was around $1,400 after discounts. And as Dexcom has scaled up their manufacturing capabilities, the Dexcom device is closer to a little under $2,000 versus Abbott still at $1,400. And so if you consider this the duopoly dominated by Dexcom and, and Abbott, what is it that dictates whether a practitioner prescribes one device versus the other? I think it depends on the needs of the individual patient. The way Dexcom has currently been branded is it's for the, it's called insulin intensive diabetics. So it's patients that not only require a basal insulin, which is a long acting insulin that lasts through the day, but patients that also require mealtime insulin. So Right before a meal or immediately after a meal, you're taking a fast-acting insulin to counteract the effects of glucose spikes. That's called an intensive patient, a patient that requires more than one insulin injection per day. There's about 4 million of those patients in the U.S., 10 million in Dexcom's current markets. And Dexcom is viewed, based on the clinical data, as the most accurate CGM. So that's a market where that Dexcom really own. Then when you start going into the less intensive population, like the type two non-intensive hasn't progressed to insulin, that's where Avid Libre dominates because it's a cheaper device. There's less need for real-time monitoring. 
the Abbott device doesn't actually give you notifications every five minutes. So the Libre is not technologically up to the same level as a Dexcom. So doctors feel comfortable prescribing it to patients that don't have an immediate need for their glucose information. The other aspect of the two is the Dexcom device is more integrated into the ecosystem. So the main integration that matters to patients right now is integration with insulin pumps. Type 1 diabetics, which cannot produce enough insulin endogenously, require insulin frequently, like multiple insulin injections through the day. So what we're seeing in the type 1 category is a lot of these patients are starting to get an insulin pump and the Dexcom communicates with the insulin pump. So when glucose levels rise, the patient doesn't really have to do anything. The Dexcom device will send a signal to the Tandem device and soon the Omnipod device to release insulin into the system. So essentially this device in the system creates an artificial pancreas that sits outside of the body. So I think it'd be helpful to better appreciate diabetes and glucose and the impact on the body and why diabetes has become such a significant concern of the medical community. Can you spend some time talking about why this problem that Dexcom is helping to solve is so relevant today? The body has a very beautiful mechanism of maintaining homeostasis. You eat something, your glucose goes up in your bloodstream, it sends a signal to your pancreas to produce insulin, and insulin takes that glucose in your bloodstream and moves it into cells for cellular activity and energy, or moves the glucose into liver cells for glucose long-term storage. That's how our body is normally supposed to work in order to maintain homeostasis and in order to control our glucose levels. What happens in diabetes is no longer does this regulation happen. So in type 1 diabetics, it means that the body can't produce enough insulin to bring glucose into the cells or into the liver. It's thought to be caused by an autoimmune condition where the immune system attacks basal cells on the pancreas that are responsible for producing insulin. So that's type 1 diabetics. It's about 1.6 million people out of the 34 million diabetics in the U.S., Type 2 diabetes is not the opposite condition, but a different condition. It's where the pancreas is able to produce appropriate amounts of insulin, but the issue is glucose levels have been so high in the body for so long that your body loses sensitivity to insulin. So insulin's main role is to bind to receptors outside of cells in order to open up the cell membrane so glucose can go into the cells, into the cytosol region where it's phosphorylated and can be broken down into energy. What happens with sustained high insulin levels in patients that have high sustained glucose levels is the extracellular insulin receptors no longer become sensitive to insulin. So the receptors no longer bind in the same way to insulin, or there's decreased efficacy of that binding. So as a result of that, the body has to continue to produce more and more insulin over time. And the pancreas essentially becomes very inflammatory. The immune system ultimately attacks the pancreas and you lose insulin production over time. So it's loss of insulin sensitivity and ultimately loss of insulin 
production, which actually makes type 2 patients at the end similar to type 1 patients. So the reason it's becoming such an epidemic is, one, there's actually more awareness of diabetes, so there's more testing. Even though there's 34 million diabetics in the U.S., only 27 million of those have actually been diagnosed. Internationally, it's far worse. The rate of diagnosis is substantially below where it is in the U.S. It's worsening diet, more sedentary lifestyle, just the large-scale behavioral changes that we see, the way society is moving towards. That's largely driving it. So it seems to me like a lot of technology-forward businesses, think about Google, Apple, even a Peloton, are starting to lean more into science than just their typical consumer device businesses. How is it that if you can think about where Dexcom is today and where it could be through the distribution power and the reach of someone like Google or Apple or other corporate partnerships that can create an opportunity here for Dexcom that is well in excess of what its first life is today as just a CGM type of business? So I think this is a very timely question because Dexcom kind of alluded to alternative business models at their December analyst day. So there's a few ways I see this playing out. So one is Dexcom could transition into an enterprise to enterprise business model. So what this means, and, and we're getting a sneak preview of this from the United Level 2 program. What this means is Dexcom would sell their CGMs directly to insurance companies and insurance companies, which are trying to reduce the cost of care will ultimately encourage their beneficiaries to wear a CGM. So United has this program, level two program right now, where they're going to employers and they're saying, your average cost of your diabetic is $17,000 a year. Over the next five years, I'm going to guarantee you that cost doesn't go down. And in fact, I may offer you some cost savings on those $17,000. So this is a pretty interesting program because it's removing the risk of cost inflation from employers' books onto United's books. So now United is motivated to get CGMs into the hands of all their diabetics because ultimately they're on the hook for excess costs. But on the other hand, if United saves more money, that's more profit to them. Another potential iteration of the business model is as a data provider. So as I mentioned, Dexcom has a lot of unique data on how glucose levels are changing based on certain behaviors. They currently use this internally to develop predictive analytics for patients. But what if this data were provided to a service provider that interacts with patients to give them specific exercise and diet recommendations? What if this was provided to insurance companies in order to more accurately price price policies for employers. And then the third big iteration is what's most speculated. It's that Dexcom will transition from a hardware business to a software business. So because you have a very disparate TAM, you have pre-diabetics that may not necessarily know they need a CGM versus a type 1 diabetic, which desperately needs a CGM. You could potentially sell this product at much lower margins and instead have a software component where more severe diabetics, and maybe the biohacker community will opt into the software subscription model, whereas the non-severe type twos, which aren't interested in paying for this, do not. Those are three alternative business models that they're all really interesting because they do expand the TAM and they do create a much different margin profile for the business while gross margins would be lower in most of these other 
business models, there would be much higher operating margins because it doesn't require any more selling if you're going enterprise to enterprise or if you're doing a software subscription model would be a little bit lower touch from an SG&A front. So thinking about it from your seat as an investor, how do you size some of the economic opportunity for this business? As you alluded to, it's just under $50 billion in market cap. But on a sales basis, it's about, I don't know, a little over two, trading at something like 20 times sales. The market is excited about the prospects of the business, but I imagine there are things that excite you even further beyond just the current investment case. How do you size the economic opportunity and optionality inherent in this business? The, the way I think about it is I first start with what are the markets that Dexcom is absolutely going to win? These are patients that are on multiple insulin injections a day, and they absolutely need their readings every five minutes in order to calibrate how much insulin to give themselves. So if you look at that core market, that's 10 million people worldwide at $2,000. So you're talking about the $20 billion market right there. And if every diabetic was treated in the market today, that's a $120 billion market worldwide. Beyond that, when you think about additional use cases, you have the pre-diabetic market, which would quadruple that TAM. And as you think through the technology, like where are other areas where glucose regulation is important? So one area that was actually pretty important during COVID was in the hospital setting. So if patients are started on steroids, steroids can actually cause pretty significant dysregulation of glucose. So if you already have a frail patient with cardiovascular complications, you can't, as a nurse, you have to be monitoring to see if glucose levels are spiking to a hyperglycemic level and you have to titrate down those steroids. So during COVID, actually, a lot of patients in the hospital setting wore CGMs because a nurse didn't have the time to finger stick each patient to measure if the glucose levels were appropriate or not. The other big area is gestational diet. So obviously there's huge hormonal changes during pregnancy. In women that already may have some sort of dysregulation of their glucose, a pregnancy can send them completely to dangerous levels of glucose. So I think I can very easily see in the future where every OBGYN says, just wear the CGM for the nine months you're pregnant and we'll go through your report every checkup. So I think there's massive markets that aren't even included in that TAM. But the way I think about Dexcom is a little under a $50 billion market cap. In their TAM, they're only 40% penetrated in the type 1 market. They're 25% penetrated in the type 2 insulin intensive market. And in the non-type 2 insulin intensive, talking about low single-digit penetration. So the growth runway is significant. And it's a duopoly market. So the growth runway is there and insurance companies have actually proven to be very open to this technology because of the cost savings it can ultimately provide down the road. And so that kind of begs the question when it comes to capital allocation, the business is pretty cash flow positive today. It grows anywhere from 20 to 40% a year. They clearly have significant M&A capabilities should they want to do something strategic. How do you think about the capital allocation framework of the business in its current steady state? So right now, they're not interested in doing M&A. 
the best use of their capital, in their opinion, is to invest internally, not just in getting this next generation product G7 to market, but also to enhance the software component. On top of the way Dexcom is going to be a very important player is they're going to win their ecosystem. So by ecosystem, what I mean is not only the insulin pump that I referred to earlier, which creates a closed loop artificial pancreas system, but there's also smart pens. Right now, if your glucose levels are high, you had to calculate how much insulin to give yourself based on how many carbohydrates you ate. The Dexcom device can speak directly to the insulin pen, which is now a smart pen, and automatically tell you how much insulin you need to inject yourself. On top of that, there's also a bunch of service-based providers like Omada Health, like Livongo. The Dexcom device will send a customizable report to these services-type organizations that can give patients customized recommendations on what to eat, how to exercise, and what exactly is happening in your data that's triggering glucose fluctuations. So I think Dexcom, as I mentioned, is getting close to the end on the hardware innovation side. They're working a lot on the software innovation side with predictive analytics. And I think in terms of building the ecosystem, they're in very early innings, but that's where they need to be spending a lot of their money in order to drive long-term value. So seemingly the growth of diabetes in the U.S. at this point is unfortunately inexorable given some of the trends in consumer behavior. But what would it mean for Dexcom to fail? Or if the investment thesis is wrong or the business starts to falter, what could be some of the things that potentially threaten Dexcom's positioning in the CGM space today? So I think there's two big risks to the business and competition is not one of them. This is a focus from Wall Street, but from studying the history of CGMs, there has been a graveyard of CGMs in development. And the biggest constraint is manufacturing. You have to find a way to consistently and reliably measure small changes in glucose and generate an accurate electrochemical signal, which can be calibrated to an appropriate reading on some sort of receiver. And this is much more difficult than it theoretically sounds. So I do expect this market to be a fairly stable duopoly for the foreseeable future. So the two actual risks to the business are insurance and technology. So from an insurance perspective, Dexcom has a pretty wide TAM. So insurance is really going to be the gatekeeper on establishing how much of that theoretical TAM is going to be realized. So Dexcom will need to continue to work with insurance, generating health economic data, showing that the benefit of their device at a little under $2,000 for a commercially insured patient, that the benefit exceeds that cost threshold. So we'll see how this health economic data evolves as you're moving into a pre-diabetic population. But over a long period of time, I do believe that Dexcom can provide benefits throughout their entire TAM. So the second big risk is technology. So Dexcom and Abbott and the MiniMed device all go underneath the skin. 
So one thing that I'm particularly focused on is non-invasive glucose monitoring. So is there a way that you could pull glucose through the skin or are there other sort of surfaces in the body where you can get glucose where it doesn't need to penetrate the skin layer? So there have actually been some interesting innovations which have failed, but demonstrate that this is a focus. So Novartis was working on a contact lens that would use the fluid from around your eye to try to track glucose. That wasn't accurate. There was a product called GlucoWatch, which tried to use electric signals to pull glucose through the skin and create a reaction on top of the skin that caused very significant skin irritation. And it wasn't particularly accurate. One new technology that's being studied is infrared spectroscopy, which uses lasers to measure how much glucose is sitting below the skin. It's an area that is fairly nascent. It's something that I know Dexcom is monitoring. It's something that I'm monitoring as well. But when it comes to technological related risks, this is where it's, I believe management is very important because you would need management that is always looking over their shoulder and a management team that is always very patient centric. So if this ultimately became a good solution for patients and improved patient quality of care, I'm confident that this is something Dexcom's management would pursue as well if they're not already pursuing it internally from an exploratory perspective. I guess you're seeing now challengers to these incumbents. How exactly do these startups work who are attacking the quantified self and CGM market And it seems like they're targeting completely healthy people in some ways who are now interested in wearing CGMs. And what do you think that means for Dexcom's business opportunity into the future? So I think you're referring to some of these companies like Nutrisense or January. These are CGMs for healthy people. These are for athletes or people that don't have diabetes and are just interested in learning more about their glucose levels and how different behaviors affect it. Those companies are actually all supplied by the Abbott Libre. They're using the same Abbott Libre patch. They haven't manufactured their own continuous glucose monitor. There's actually a graveyard of failed attempts at generating a continuous glucose monitor. So the Abbott model is to sell their Libre device to some of these third parties that brand the Abbott Libre device in different ways. But uh, ultimately, I think it's a good thing for the market. I think it raises awareness of the importance of glucose monitoring. And again, these products are still not over the counter in the United States. Like You still have to go into your physician's office. So if these new companies are advertising and driving patients into the physician's office, it ultimately is a good thing for the category. But in terms of the market opportunity, we're in the first out of the first inning. So it's really not a zero-sum game. It's really just an awareness game at this point. We spent a ton of time talking about diabetes, how it impacts the body, why it's important to have a continuous glucose monitor, and the market opportunity. We have not spent a lot of time talking about the actual management team at Dexcom and how they're impacting the path and direction of the business. How important is management in the scheme of Dexcom's opportunity set? This is a high-cost area, which gives them a market opportunity to sell their product, but it will also be a highly scrutinized category because it will be a high-cost item for every insurance company, ultimately. 
So you need a management team that's savvy, that understands insurance, and they also understand how to position themselves. So the CEO of the company, Kevin Sayer, he's been in this field for over 20 years. He originally started at Minimed, which was responsible for making the first CGM. He's now been at Dexcom for several years. The entire management team is fairly experienced in the space, and they've made a lot of strategically important decisions to help the business going forward. So I think actually one of the most interesting stories about this management team is there was this other company, a insulin pump company, Tandem, that was on the brink of bankruptcy several years ago. And Dexcom actually decided to step in and provide a lifeboat to this company and help them develop their insulin pump which they thought would be important for the treatment of type 1 diabetics, but didn't have appropriate funding in order for them to get over the finish line. So I think it was a very savvy business decision because that tandem T-Slim pump, that's the name of the pump, is now integrated with the Dexcom. And when you talk to type 1 diabetics, they say one of the top reasons why they want the Dexcom G6 device is because it has integration with the tandem pump. And now as a type one diabetic, you don't have to think about your diabetes the same way anymore because your Dexcom will tell your tandem pump when to pump insulin. And as a type one, you can behave like a non-diabetic to some extent. That was a very savvy move because tandem is now a very important part of the Dexcom ecosystem. And as these competing ecosystem products do better, the Dexcom device becomes more integral to care. So they've made moves like that. They've also made important partnership decisions with Apple on the Apple Watch, with Google on creating the small microchip for their device. And as I mentioned, with a few of the service providers, some of the service providers like Onduo that can take these glucose measurements and provide individualized recommendations. If you kind of look at the market opportunity and the technology that the management team is navigating here, are there any particular adjacencies or verticalizations of the business? For instance, would they ever go into the pump business? Or even taking it a step further, would an insulin manufacturer acquire someone like Dexcom? Just thinking about the value chain and the ecosystem that they operate in and where the power kind of lies and where they want to sit. So different people in the ecosystem have been asked this question. The insulin manufacturers have been asked about CGMs and they're not interested in buying CGMs. They're in the business of pharmaceuticals, not in the business de devices. Dexcom has been asked about purchasing a pump manufacturer. Specifically with that decision on Tandem, the question was, why didn't you just buy Tandem outright? Dexcom right now is very much focused on being in their lane. And I think they realize that the value actually accrues to the party that gets the patient data. As you get more patient data, you develop a better algorithm. So while the data is always owned by the patients, the Dexcom device is the first point where the data is coming through. And then it's communicating with either the smart insulin pen or communicating with the insulin pump. As Dexcom is getting more data on how patient glucose levels change 
throughout the day based on uh, time of day, based on exercise, based on insulin activity, based on food, their algorithm will be better be able to predict where glucose levels are going to go over the next 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. As that algorithm gets better, the device becomes more accurate and the functionality you can add to the device becomes better. You can provide predictive alerts so your device can make a noise when you're about to go hypoglycemic or hyperglycemic. In the future, your device can give you personalized recommendations of when to exercise, what foods to eat, when to take insulin, how much insulin to take. As we've seen with other tech companies, the patient level data is really the power that drives every application that you build after that. So taking this logic a step further, it's costing the insurance company something like $2,000 a year to provide continuous glucose monitors to the patients. In the context of an average American's healthcare spend, how much does that represent? And then to speculate a bit beyond that, I understand that the behaviors that the CGM and the associated software can incent or catalyze are pretty healthy writ large, increased activity, hydration, things that help to help the body to cope with a spike in glucose. Are there other externalities that could come from CGM that we're not even really talking about today that could factor into the economic cost that an insurance company is willing to pay for this Dexcom device to be implemented? The average diabetic costs about $17,000 per year today. And that's projected to grow to $30,000 per year. So the $2,000 Dexcom device represents a little over 10% of the current cost of care. Dexcom price is likely coming down to probably closer to that $1,500 to $1,700 price range. So it'll become a little bit more palatable. The average non-diabetic, I believe last year we spent $4 trillion in healthcare costs, or 20% of GDP. So that comes out to the average patient costing a little over $10,000 per year in healthcare costs. But as I mentioned, the cost skew is towards hospitalizations, surgeries, ER visits, et cetera. If a device can prevent one of those hospitalization events, it more than pays for itself. In terms of applications to the device and externalities, I think the biggest thing is you will see very significant behavior modifications of these patients. So besides just regulating what food you eat, glucose is a very important marker of other behavioral functions. It, it is telling you how well you are sleeping at night. It is telling you about your stress levels. It's telling you about your exercise intensity and frequency. So I believe glucose monitoring is not just important for diabetes. I think it's important for overall health and well-being, which hopefully should decrease healthcare utilization over time and should improve overall health and well-being. The Dexcom team at their analyst day, they had a few physicians that gave their experience and one of the points that was raised actually stuck with me and made a ton of sense where as a doctor, your job is to be very prescriptive, but 
when you tell a patient you can only eat salads and you have to work out every day, a patient is not going to comply with it. Instead, if you tell a patient your glucose level is 140 and I want to see you at 110, or your glucose level is 200 and I want to see you at 170, you figure it out, a patient becomes much more empowered because they feel like they have choice and they understand what behavior modifications are palatable for them in order to get there. And so you've been a professional investor for over 15 years at this point. The Dexcom story is one that you're particularly excited about. What are some of the lessons that you can take away from studying this business as an investor? And through your study of the history of this business, what are lessons that operators who are building in the medical technology device space can get excited about here today? So I think there's three big lessons learned from Dexcom. So first, especially as a healthcare company, you have to benefit all your stakeholders. So you have insurance companies, doctors, and patients. And sometimes the needs of each of these stakeholders are very different. So in this case, I think Dexcom is one of the rare examples where you are benefiting all the stakeholders. So from the patient and doctor perspective, you're lowering A1C levels, you're preventing progression of worsening diabetes. Patient is empowered because they're not being told what to do from the doctor, but they're taking specific choices and actions that are lowering glucose themselves and they can see what's happening. From an insurance perspective, this is where a lot of companies actually get tripped up where they have a low-cost product and they're trying to generate a high margin on it. And the savings that they're generating for the system are just frankly not there. So this is where Dexcom has presented some preliminary data. This is called health economic data. And I expect them to continue to generate data here because this is going to be the most important part of the story as the TAM is so large. And I would expect Dexcom to move into pre-diabetics and potentially non-diabetics as well. But what ultimately what you're looking for is if the device costs a little less than $2,000 for a commercially insured patient, are you providing more than $2,000 of value to the insurance company? So what does that mean? That means that you have to show hard endpoints like decrease in hospitalizations and in surgeries. Also, you had to show that you are saving on unnecessary drug costs on excess use of drugs that may not be working. A CGM will tell you if, for example, your GLP-1 is not particularly effective and you need to come off that drug and go potentially on a cheaper drug. The second is you have to be extremely patient-centric. If you're prioritizing business over patients, that ultimately does show up. Um, Patients are very empowered. And when there's a competitive category with choices, patients and doctors will go towards the most patient-centric product. So in my opinion, I've seen one big misstep in this category from a competitor. Medtronic was previously the market leader in both CGMs and in insulin pumps. And they made the business decision that they wanted to create a closed ecosystem where their CGM could only communicate with their pump. The problem was their CGM wasn't particularly reliable. It required several finger sticks a day in order to calibrate the readings that the CGM would give you. So what's the point of the CGM if you had to finger prick yourself several times a day anyways? In addition, there were different preferences on the pump front. So some patients were interested in the tubeless pump from Omnipod. Some were interested in the tandem pump because of the display interface. 
but the Medtronic closed ecosystem didn't let you mix and match. And because of this, Medtronic went from being one of the more preeminent players in the space. They were an innovator. They were the first tier, especially with the CGM, to now becoming increasingly less relevant as new patients are picking the Libre and the uh, Dexcom G6. And then the third big lesson is in healthcare, reputation is everything. And this kind of ties into my last point, but patients, especially in this country, want the best quality of care. So what Dexcom has established from the beginning is through clinical data that they are the most accurate CGM. And Dexcom has taken other steps in terms of building an ecosystem around its device where patients know that they can rely on the CGM to accurately communicate with other devices that they may also be using. Well, I imagine the future is like some combination of an Apple wearable. And then like, if you want to like really be like a visionary, we're obviously going to have implanted devices that are pinging our mobile with like anything, heart rate, glucose levels, whatever other deficiencies you may have. Yeah. Isn't that the future? It's interesting you say that because that's actually how Dexcom started. They wanted to be an implantable long-term solution where you put it under the skin for yeah. six months. And you have a company right now called Sensionics that does it, but like nobody uses it because, because they're like crazy. Dexcom and Abbott are so good. The biggest thing you worry about when you go underneath the skin is you don't want inflammation. If your immune system detects a foreign body, then no longer can you cause this glucose reaction in order to send the electrochemical signal. That's actually your biggest thing with an implantable. But the real cool thing is the first, one of the first CGMs ever was called GlucoWatch. It was a watch. It was non-invasive. It sat on your skin. And what it did was it used a very low electric signal in order to pull glucose through the skin and have the reaction on top of the skin. It didn't work very well, and patients had a ton of skin irritation. That would be awesome if like the Apple Watch was able to pull glucose through. There are so many things about health insurance and preventative care. If we allow tech-forward businesses to help solve this problem, and like the natural flywheel from better data, incenting better behavior, incenting lower costs then the entire ecosystem stands to benefit from it. And to your point, the biggest value unlock is eliminating emergency care. If we can have Americans not necessarily living meaningfully healthier lives, but at least like having something in the back of their mind that's reminding them like what they're doing and the immediate impact on their health. Yeah. The problem is these insurance companies, they don't look at down the road savings. They're just like, well, it cost me $2,000 today. And the average patient switches off insurance within four years. That's the problem. The hospitalization event is going to happen on someone else's book, not on my book. Who cares? That's a big hurdle. So like healthcare is always a push and pull between public opinion versus like the data. The worst thing insurance companies are afraid of is someone goes to USA Today or Wall Street Journal or New York Times and says, XYZ insurance, like Aetna denied me care. I don't know. I think like if you convince people that this is great by watching the Nick Jonas ad, learning more about CGMs, and then they're telling their head of HR that like, I need the CGM to be a productive employee. 
And then the employers say, this is how we're making our planned decisions, whether to go with Aetna or United or whatnot. That's how this becomes important. But like you have to win over the public. Anil, thank you for helping us to tell the story of Dexcom and to study the business. It has a little bit of everything, right? It's a technology business that has a disproportionate impact on a growing number of Americans and the global population. And the social benefit of a rather low-cost device that can have significant economic implications. And we really appreciate your perspective. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it. Connected self-applications and hardware like Dexcom are attracting the attention of investors and operators alike. Dexcom is an explicit example of the ability to pair hardware with IP to create a virtuous business model and is representative of a new class of business that is combining old-world technology with new-world solutions to address real-world problems. Dexcom's business model is contingent upon creating more value than it captures from its stakeholders and operates in a complex and regulated end market. We hope you enjoyed the breakdown of Dexcom. To find more episodes of breakdowns ranging from Costco to Visa to Moderna, or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out joincolossus.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S dot com. 